And yes, we begin our tour from here because only four main gates into the city. All of the gates, including this one behind me, at one time were operated... Martin McCrossan has been doing his famous walking tour around Derry's city walls in Northern Ireland for 20 years. Down this street was one of our most famous schools, St. Columns College. And that college in this city produced a huge number of notable people. Martin is telling his tour about the exploits of the city's most famous people, including a story about the songwriter Phil Coulter. He didn't just write hits for Elvis. He wrote a Eurovision Song Contest winner called Puppet on a String for Sandy Shaw. And guess what? He nearly wrote another one. Congratulations and celebrations. This is a remarkable story. He co-wrote a famous hit for a famous artist called Sir Cliff Richard. And this song was called Congratulations. And there's a great rumour attached to this story and this song. The song Congratulations was being sung in the Eurovision Song Contest in the 1960s. That the United Kingdom, the first half of the competition, got all of the votes. But in the second half of the competition, Spain got all of the votes. And the United Kingdom faltered very, very badly. Spain won. The United Kingdom lost. It is rumoured that they were told that Spain fixed it. That the United Kingdom would lose. And they would win. <laughs> the song I actually won it that year for Spain called La La La, Ya Ya Ya, Yo Yo Yo. Nobody even knows what it was called. <laughs> but there's no doubt which one was the real winner. And that song, Congratulations, is sung to this very day. Congratulations lost by a point to Spain at the 1968 Eurovision Song Contest. It is alleged that General Franco bribed member states so Spain would win. The rigging story, the one Martin McCrossan tells on his walking tour of Derry, broke publicly for the first time in May 2008 on the back of claims made in a documentary on Spanish television. News of the conspiracy flew around the world. Channel 4 covered the story, sandwiched between frontline reports from Israel and the Lebanon. The night Cliff Richard came second was a nail-biter, even for Eurovision. He was 27, had already been on his summer holidays with Una Stubbs and congratulations was the out-and-out favourite to win when he belted it out at the Royal Albert Hall. He lost by un point to Spain. Today, en route to a gig in Paris, he was still digesting the startling claim that General Franco, who at the time had ruled Spain for 32 years, had a hand in his defeat, allegedly ordering TV executives to buy votes from their neighbours to ensure a Spanish victory. Well, when I came off stage that night, I thought to myself, I was robbed. I mean, I'm finding it hard to take the whole thing seriously, but uh, if they do find that I won, that would be wonderful. Channel 4's news anchor John Snow treated the story lightheartedly. Of course, it wouldn't be the first time anybody had tried to fix the European Song Contest. I mean, if, uh, if indeed Franco did try to. I gather the Irish won it so often they tried to fix losing it because it cost them so much to stage it. It seemed John Snow was content to let the story lie. How do you think this one would go? Commiserations and allegations. <laughs> Was Phil Coulter, Ireland's most famous songwriter, fiddled? Was he the victim of a fascist dictator's dirty tricks? 
Since it was founded in 1956, the Eurovision Song Contest has been one of the most important cultural events on the calendar. It has given us some classic pop songs and is guaranteed to provide talking points every year for the hundreds of millions of people who tune in to watch its drama unfold on television. Ireland's first taste of success came in 1967 when Phil Coulter triumphed in Vienna with Sandy Shaw singing Puppet on a String for the United Kingdom. He partied it up in Vienna, but missed out on the celebrations in his hometown. When the announcement was made, people spilled out onto the streets in Derry. Our boy. We won. We won. Uh, and I'd love to be there to, to, just to savour all of that. It was great uh, for my own family, my mother and father, to savour that bit of success. Because when I went to, to London um, to pursue a career in popular music, I mean, my mother was distraught, and my father as well, because it had been like five years, four years at university studying music. And you're ending up now, instead of getting a good job teaching music at St. Columns or something, you're away off gallivanting, gallivanting to London, uh, to, and that jazz music, as she called it. So to win the Eurovision Song Contest was a bit of affirmation that, you know, maybe, maybe it's not such a bad idea after all. But um, it was pretty heady. I mean, I was only 24, so uh, 24, 25. So it was, it was pretty overwhelming. At the time, Phil Coulter's songwriting partner was Bill Martin from Scotland. Then we sat back comfortably watching Puppet and String being covered by, I think we, we stopped counting at 120 different covers of the songs. We thought, this is, this is terrific. So much so, actually, that it didn't do our songwriting uh, uh, any good because um, we started playing the part of songwriters, you know, um, hanging about in... in discotheques as they were called back then and hoping that we would bump, bump into uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney and other celebs you know that we were we're now on, on the same par you know now that we were we had a hit record and popular string number one around Europe and stuff and we didn't write any songs until our publisher called us in and said hey boys let me tell you um, one swallow never made a summer and one song never made a songwriter in the music business talking about you guys now you're a flash in the pan so I remember coming out and saying to Bill Martin I'll tell you how we'll show them we're not a flash in the pan. We'll win the Eurovision all over again. We'll win it a second time. That became the task then. Cliff Richard had been nominated then as the singer. But it was it was such a big prize. In those days, there was people like Julio Iglesias singing for Spain, people like Elton John writing songs for the UK. There was a credibility uh, to the Eurovision for professional songwriters. And there was also like a big payday because it produced some, I mean, some classic songs, you know, songs like Volari didn't even win the Eurovision Song Contest, but was was a standard. Uh, and you had established singers, you know, Sandy Shaw for the United Kingdom was uh, one of the biggest acts in the game. Cliff Richard was iconic even back then. So it was a serious bit of business. Is this what tickled General Franco? A bit of business? What was in it for General Franco? He was the longest ruling fascist dictator of the 20th century. He ruled Spain from 1936 until his death in 1975. The scale of his systematic murder of political opponents has been compared to the purges of Hitler and Stalin. 
why on earth would Franco possibly be interested in rigging a song contest? During the 1960s, Spain was a pariah in the international community. At the 1964 Eurovision Song Contest final in Copenhagen, a protester dramatically walked on stage carrying a banner calling for a boycott of Franco. The Eurovision had huge cachet at the time. It was one of the biggest TV shows of the year. The staging of the contest's final was an ideal vehicle for Franco to improve Spain's oppressive image abroad especially as it was slowly opening up and cashing in on its potential as a tourist destination. Or so the theory goes. You cannot go and fix the voting just because you're Franco. Victor Escudero will do the co-commentary on Spanish television for this year's Eurovision. But to be honest, you always have this little thought, no? Spain at that moment was this country that wanted to show to Europe that we were there and uh, we were not like uh, a country from the past or something like they had this technology and like they could host the the contest and show to to Europe that we were at the same level maybe and of course to do that you had to win first right Juan Manuel Serrat was a huge star in the 60s and still is around the globe today He's like a Leonard Cohen for Latinos. Lasso de la Vega was Juan Manuel Serrat's manager in 1968. He had close ties with Franco. He arranged with Franco's government that Juan Manuel Serrat would represent Spain in that year's Eurovision Song Contest. In the weeks before the Eurovision final at the Royal Albert Hall, it is alleged that executives from Televisión Española did a promotional drive around Europe for the Spanish song La La La. Claudio Marti and Josep Maria Massip owned the record company Juan Manuel Serrat sang for in the 1960s. 46 years after the 1968 Eurovision Song Contest, they have some serious allegations to make about the negotiations that happened in the run-up to that year's final. Ellos empiezan a hacer la 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 campaña en Europa con el la 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 por todas las radios y las televisiones europeas. Entonces nosotros sabemos. They started a promotion campaign in Europe for the la 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 song. They went around all the European radio and television stations. We know that this promotion exercise involved buying votes. In those days, the voting was made by the television stations of each country. It's not like nowadays, where a part of the voting is done by the public. It was the country's television stations that were casting the votes. So we found out, we know, that while promoting a song in each country, votes were bought. There was a commitment of voting for that song or not. So when this was done, it was known which television stations would vote for the song. Therefore, at the time of the promotion campaign, they already knew the song La 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 was going to be the winning song. Que 
El alala sería el ganador. I asked them what evidence there was of a fix. What was the bribe? Did they know firsthand? Los votos los compraba Televisión Española. The votes were bought by Televisión Española. We were not involved in anything. During the promotion campaign, Televisión Española agreed with the other television stations who would win. We don't know if there was money involved or not, because this never came out. I believe it was only an arrangement between television stations. We know only the uh, statement of uh, Lazo de la Vega, who said to us, uh, the uh, winner will be uh, yeah. la la la, because we have the balls. Spain has bought the votes before the final. It's a compelling story, two men confirming each other's tale, but it is only second-hand testimony. Lasso de la Vega died years ago. It's still in the realm of rumour. The 1968 Eurovision was held at the Royal Albert Hall in London on the 6th of April. 17 countries competed in a television event that lasted 90 minutes. Ladies and gentlemen everywhere, good evening and welcome to this, the 13th Eurovision Song Contest. The 1968 contest was quite a breakthrough contest in many ways, really. Paul Jordan, also known as Dr Eurovision, is an academic expert on the Eurovision's history. It was the first time that the UK had staged the event after winning. Previously, the BBC had staged the contest in the early 60s. So that was the first time that the BBC staged it on their own merit, if you like. And also, it was, at the time, the biggest arena the contest had taken place in. It was the Royal Albert Hall. It was also the first contest in colour. So it was a breakthrough on a number of levels. And even in terms of the production values, the stage, the scoreboard, it was much bigger and bolder than anything that had been done before. And it was really, I suppose, the start of Eurovision becoming more modern. But if I say that something like 200 million people could be watching tonight, I don't think I'd be exaggerating. And I think that's a pretty awe-inspiring thought. Katie Boyle is... um. A BBC legend, really. She's presented Eurovision four times. Last time she presented was in 1974, but she was she's certainly held in high regard and she's a bit of a fan favourite. She's certainly very BBC, very well-spoken and not like it is now. It's a lot more kind of down-to-earth, whereas in those days it was invite-only, it was very much tuxedo, dinner dress, and it was all very highbrow and posh, really. Well, now, the order in which the songs are going to be sung... Portugal started proceedings with the song called Summer, The Netherlands, Belgium and Austria came next, while Luxembourg, which at the time had the most successful track record in Eurovision history, performed a gushing duet, We Will Live Our Love. (laughs) 
Some non-favourites, Switzerland, Monaco, Sweden and Finland, followed. Much was expected of the French entry, Isabelle Aubray, as she had won the Eurovision Song Contest in 1962. After Italy came the United Kingdom. On the night of the final, Phil Coulter knew himself and his writing partner, Bill Martin, were on the cusp of making history. And we thought, jeez, if we could win this again tonight, it'd be like history books. Nobody's ever won two years in in a row, um, and maybe nobody ever will. So we would write our name large in the the history of the Eurovision Song Contest. We were probably going in as favourites, which didn't make me very comfortable because uh, I suppose being from Derry, I'm, I'm more naturally an underdog, you know. But he, he was, you know, it was a home game. We'd won the previous year. Cliff Richard was a hero. So we were, well, we were kind of uh, buoyant um, and, and optimistic. And I remember the, the headline in the London Evening Standard that night, the big banner headline on the front page, Can the Irishman and the Scotsman pull it off again? <laughs> Cliff Richard arrived on stage dressed like Austin Powers with a blue velvet suit and white ruffled shirt to the delight of the home crowd and the apprehension of his rivals. England doesn't play for nothing. Don't play for nothing. They play to win. Manolo de la Calva is from Duo Dinamico, the songwriters of Spain's entry La La La. Duo Dinamico were one of Spain's most popular groups in the 1960s kind of Iberian version of the Everly Brothers. Cliff Richard in that time was, <laughs> was the first one in Europe, the, the, the singer. And second, they put everything to do this. And they had a beautiful song, a good song, and a good singer, and in England, and in English. Oh, what do you think? They, they, they are going to live, to, to, to live this, to escape this. No. singer was next to take the stage. I think he was called Odd Boar. He was certainly quite an interesting character. He looked a little bit like Norris from Coronation Street with a pair of glasses on. And um, yeah, his performance is quite strange in terms of how he sold the song, but also it's quite interesting that he really did use the cameras. And at that time, performers weren't really using cameras in the same way. They were just performing their song, whereas he was making sure that he was looking into the camera, turning around, seeing the other camera. And really it was quite a polished professional performance of quite a bizarre song. The song's repetitive lyrics were a taste of things to come later in the night. 
Ireland's entry was a love song called Chance of a Lifetime. It was sung by Pat McGuigan, the father of former world boxing champion Barry McGuigan. One day, while I was out walking, I saw your face in the midst of a crowd. Here I thought is the chance of a life. Barry's mother, Katie, was in the Royal Albert Hall, cheering on her husband, who was dressed to take full advantage of the Eurovision's first broadcast on colour television. Paddy had, um, his suit was made by um, Louis Copeland. Actually, there's a photograph there of, of Louis measuring it for him. Um, he, he would have designed a lot of stuff for Paddy. That was the... Did he do the jacket? Anyway, when we went to London, he had a his his um, his jacket was green, and his shirt was yellow, and it was made by shirt makers in Wardour Street in London. Very expensive shirt. I think it cost something like seventy pounds. Seventy pounds. Yeah. Well, that and was the flight yeah. was seventeen. Yeah. Very very expensive. Nice. But I mean, all the stars had their their stuff made with these these guys in Wardour Street. Um, they used to be made for Tom Jones, uh, anyone in the in the media, you know. Like whistled melodies. The words La 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 have been a staple of many, many Eurovision songs, but never to the extremes of Spain's entry in 1968. Duo Dinamico, the songwriters of La La La, were snowbound when the idea for the song came to them. We were in the north-west of Spain. It was in a city that called Orense. Orense, it's in Galicia. Well, we were in the hotel... And the radio said that no trains, no cars, no autobuses, no nothing could go out, and we had to stay there. And uh, we had a group, there were four boys, and uh, we were, and we started playing cards, and uh, and I was in the, in in a, in a place like this, and Ramon was there, and I start. Singing, I start singing, and one said, "Listen, hoist, it's quite. Wait a minute." She took the guitar. Wow, nice. <laughs> we call our uh, manager. Wow, we have done. We have a beautiful song that could. Could go to Juan Manuel Serrat. You know Juan Manuel Serrat. Twelve days before the Eurovision final, Spain's singer Juan Manuel Serrat dramatically pulled out of the contest. He is Catalan. Half of Catalonia's population wants independence from Spain, in the same way that some people in Scotland want to break away from Great Britain. He wanted to sing La 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 in Catalan, a language that was repressed by General Franco. 
they said that it, it was because uh, that uh, he wanted to sing in, in, in Catalan. For, <laughs> I, I play, I, I talk Catalan, I, I don't care, my language is Catalan. Uh, but uh, he, he wouldn't go. Juan Manuel Serrat risked ending up in prison for his political gesture. A 20-year-old singer called Maciel, who was on tour in South America, was drafted in to replace him at the last minute. And when I was still uh, in Mexico, they phoned me from the Spanish television, something happened with the boy, the, the singer uh, Juan Manuel Serrat. Uh, he decided uh, said no for very special questions. And I came uh, quickly in, by fly. Maciel wore a miniskirt from a fashionable boutique in Paris. She bounced on stage, her shoulders swinging from side to side. The one that sticks out in my mind was Maciel because she was so bedecked. She had gold everywhere and her clothes were all... She had a lovely dress on her too, very, very nice. She a very good-looking girl too. And, I mean, she walked in and there was a whole presence, you know. As I say, it was different. Nobody had an entourage with them at that time, but she did. It was the entourage gave her the, the presence, or she had an aura and herself, of the pop star. Oh no, she herself, carried herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bert Kampfert, the German composer who wrote the music for Frank Sinatra's Strangers in the Night, arranged the music for La La La. Phil Coulter, who was sitting about ten rows back from the stage on the night of the final, was unconvinced, however, about its chances when he heard it. I didn't think it was a contender. I thought. I thought it was very average. I thought la 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 la, and also I thought it was a bit of a, a bit of a, a rip off. Of, How do you know when you sang out of tune? Will you stand up and fight on me? And then it was la 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 la. I thought, well, the lyric isn't going to win any Grammy awards. Were the song's lyrics infantile, or a brilliant minimalist sleight of hand? Victor Escudero who will do the co-commentary for Spanish television at this year's Eurovision, sees little difference between La 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 and its rival, Congratulations. They're both bouncy pop songs of the time. And of course, uh, uh, Congratulations is in English. Most people would understand that. Uh, La 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 was in Spanish. Not that many people in Europe could understand Spanish. So this little trick of having the chorus in in uh, simple language saying just la 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 I don't know 120 times something like that it kind of worked Germany which would be remembered for the votes it gave later on was the second last country to perform before Yugoslavia concluded the night songs now on with the voting the voting system was different than today At the time, the winner of the competition was decided by a jury made up of 10 members chosen by their television stations from each of the 17 countries participating. Each member awarded one point to their favourite song, so 10 points was the maximum a jury could award. When the votes started rolling in, France led until almost the halfway stage Are you there? And may I have your vote, please? Hello. 
but then the UK took the lead and started galloping ahead of its rivals. United Kingdom, four points. United Kingdom, five votes. Wyoming, cinq. Wyoming, And that completes the voting of our jury. Thank you and night night. Thank you very much. Good night. And here we have France, United Kingdom and Spain very much in the running. And we go on to our 12th jury. A debonair Michael Aspel called in the UK's votes. United Kingdom, I sincerely hope you are. Hello, Katie. Ici Hello, Michael. Londres. <laughs> Bonsoir, Michael. When it came to Gay Byrne to phone in the Irish jury's vote, he had no time for flirting or frivolities. Good evening, Katie. This is the vote of the Irish jury. Monaco, one point. Spain followed Ireland. It was the third last country to vote. Its jury overlooked its rivals at the top of the leaderboard, Ireland, France and the UK, when it came to sharing out its ten points. Still, the UK's lead looked unbeatable, so much so that an usher from the BBC came to ask Phil Coulter and his songwriting partner Bill Martin to leave their seats and go backstage so they would be ready to accept their award. It made me feel great. Bill Martin didn't want to leave a seat. He's very superstitious. No, 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 no. He didn't want to leave because he thought it was kind of tempting fate. And he was proven to be right. Um, but I was kind of carried along by it. I thought, well, I mean, if the BBC, you know, if they think we're that clear, I mean, they, they must know what they're talking about. So let's go for it. So we dragged Bill Martin out of the seat. And we're standing in the wings. And as we were in the wings, it's when, when we and wallop, bing. Spain goes wallop. Spain gets like, uh, like top points. Germany awarded Spain six points, which put Spain a point ahead of the UK. And you certainly changed things here. Spain is just in the lead. Let's hear now for the verdict of the 17th and last jury. There was an element of farce to the last round of voting. The votes from the Yugoslav jury, which awarded points to neither Spain nor the UK, had to be recalled. Its jury doled out 11 points instead of 10. Yugoslavia, would you like to come back and readjust your voting, please? Because you gave us 11 points instead of 10. Mr Clifford Brown, the Eurovision scrutineer, was pressed into action while Katie Boyle used a selection of languages to try and coax the Yugoslav jury into correcting their sums. Switzerland, two no, points. No, no two points. I was just kind of stunned at the time to think it just felt as if the carpet had been pulled out from under us because from being, you know, the, uh, the reigning champions have done it again kind of stuff at the side stage. All of a sudden, we were kind of abandoned and pushed us in. And when they ran and got the Spanish race, we were going, what happened here? It was, it was that instant. We were actually standing up, ready to walk on stage. It was kind of devastating. Um, and I remember 
It's one of the first times in my life that I smoked a cigarette. So, Spain. So, ladies and gentlemen, mina damer och herrar, vinnaren av 1968 års won with a total of 29 points, one more than the UK's congratulations. The legendary Spanish broadcaster Jose Maria Inigo, Spain's answer to Terry Wogan, was there on the night reporting for Spanish radio. Well, to be honest, uh, I didn't think we we could win at all, and I had to make a, a broadcast live to to Madrid. So, at the at the middle of of the uh, vote, when, when I saw that we couldn't win. I went to one of the uh, rooms of the Abbey Hall to make my broadcast and say, well, this is, this is what happened, you have seen it on television. And then somebody told me, hey, we are, we are winning. So I had to, to stop my broadcast and go back to the uh, center of the thing to speak to Marcel and do a dynamic of the composers and everything, everyone there. It was a big surprise for us, for us all. I remember me, like I think they remember the Lynch song, walking around the, 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 the corridor of the Royal Albert Hall, looking at all the pictures of the famous people, don't think of the bones, looking at the artists. And El Duo Dinamico, when they say the name of the writers, the song, and obvious, the singer, they are going, corriendo, corriendo, to pick at me, Marcel, Marcel, you must sing, entonces, you must sing again. And I was in other words, I said, what for? He said, because we are winning. He said, really? Ah, go. <laughs> Back in Spain, people were going loco. On her return to Madrid, Maciel was paraded around the city in a vintage car. Lot of people, raining, say hello to all the people, raining, 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 but the people was crying, 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 and tapping the tape the hands. Jose Maria Inigo, is the man who made the claim in that Spanish television documentary in May 2008 that Franco's regime rigged the Eurovision Song Contest. Everyone knows, and it has been published, that directors of Television Española and record companies travelled around Europe offering to release albums of different Bulgarian singers, Czechs, or, you know, bring them to Spain. And Television Española bought series that they were never going to get and never got in exchange for votes, as long as they gave us the votes to try to win. Because of this, it was very good for Spain and it brought a certain prestige abroad. But 1968 wasn't the most remarkable year for achievements, really. It was an off-the-cuff remark. He was repeating a rumour that he had heard over the years. The allegation led to a media frenzy. He stresses that if bribes were made by Spain, it was not in the year of Maciel's win in 1968, but in earlier years of Spain's involvement in the Eurovision Song Contest, 
which had first entered in 1961. If that's the case, the bribes weren't landing in the right pockets. Maciel won in 1968 with 29 points. Spain's points tally in the years before her win reads as follows. 8 points, 0 points, 2 points, 1 point, 0 points, and in 1966 and 67, slightly better with 9 points each year. Maciel dismisses the rumour as idle gossip. El, el español es muy... Cotillo. 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 What does that mean? They talk a lot of things, not truths. About the I asked Jose Maria Inigo what was the rumour he heard. He was foggy when it came to details. The rumour uh, was about that in the in the first times, first years of the Eurovision Song Contest, uh, some people could, could have been trying to get uh, votes for Spain. How? I don't know how. Not paying money. I don't know, probably buying series or some someone television. But it was in 19... At the beginning, the first two or three years of this. But that's speculation. Who were the, who were the, the people working in Spanish television at the time? Still at the time, what time? Sixty-eight. The sixties, yeah. Sixties. Anybody still around? No, I don't today? think so. No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, it's fifty years ago. Maybe the secret has gone to the grave. I don't think there's a secret. I don't think there's a secret. I have that of other countries as well. The late nineteen sixties was Spain's golden age in the Eurovision. In nineteen sixty-nine, when it hosted the final at Teatro de la Opera in Madrid, its singer Salome tied with three other countries for the crown. Uh, Spanish people were much happier with the La 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 winning than, than the Salome winning. Why was that? First of all, it was our first time to win the Eurovision Song Contest. Then it was only one winner, now not four winners. Marcel is still known because he won the Eurovision Song Contest and Salome is absolutely forgotten. What has happened in Spain since those years they haven't won since no like uh, some of the 40 countries true true so it's... we should have to think it was recent Ireland has won seven times why being such a small country and with okay good singers but not so exceptional singers as the one who won could there be a conspiracy <laughs> why not could be As to the conspiracy in 1968, there are things that don't add up. There are pieces of the jigsaw that don't fit together. As many questions as there are answers. In the Spanish television documentary of 2008, which raised the allegation of bribery, Jose Maria Inigo cited Bulgaria and Czechoslovakia as targets for bribery. Bulgaria only entered the Eurovision for the first time in 2007. The former Czechoslovakia never competed in the Eurovision. For his part, Phil Coulter reckons a fix could have been possible. It's believable. It's certainly believable um, from a practical point of view because it was juries. You didn't have to try and influence like, you know, uh, millions of people texting, which would be a very hard a hard call. But it's certainly uh, the bribing. I mean, I'm not saying it happened because what do I know? But what I am saying is it would have been doable. 
And I mean, I can't, I can't see that Franco sent off like a battalion of of, of TV executives with cases of Rioja in the boot of the car to bribe television executives in Germany or promises of holidays in Mallorca or whatever it might be. I mean, I thought that was pretty laughable. But I see that, you know, there would have been other ways. For example, somebody from Spanish television could have gone to the German uh, people and said, right, that series that you have, that wildlife series shot in the, in the Black Forest, we'll take that for Spanish TV. And you know that, that one you have about such about uh, da, 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 German folk tunes, we'll have that. There could very well have been a trade-off. That's the point I'm making. I mean, I, I don't know that brown envelopes changed hands, but it would have been doable. It would have been doable. If it was doable, who could tell? General Franco died almost 40 years ago. Juan José Rosan, the chief of Televisión Española in 1968, also went to his grave many years ago. As did Lasso de la Vega, the guy who claimed the votes were bought during the promotional campaign for La La La. The European Broadcasting Union, which oversees the Eurovision Song Contest, has never investigated the voting process of the 1968 final to see if it might have been rigged. For now, the record books record Maciel was the winner. The win made her a star in Spain. The original Eurovision Grand Prix medal from that year is on display in Manolo de la Calva's living room, and the song La 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 is still making him lots of money from royalties today. La 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 right now gives a lot of money. La La three months ago gave altogether, I mean Ramon, me, editorials and so on, well, it was uh, 15,000 euros. This is the acid test. Which of those two songs endured? La 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 rocketed into obscurity. I don't think it charted uh, to any substantial extent in any, in any European country. The way, for example, Puppet and a String had done the previous year. I'd safely say that Congratulations outsold La 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 as a record, as a, as a sale of record, but it most assuredly and most definitely outperformed it in terms of its performances. Um, it most certainly outperformed it in terms of the number of covers, the number of different uh, artists, the number of bands, the number of orchestras that have covered it, and the fact that it's been performed right up to today. I mean, just there at the end of last year, we had another bit of a bonanza when uh, there was the Royal Baby. Those events are always great for congratulations because you've got the band of of the Royal Scots Guards camped outside the hospital or outside Buckingham Palace and as soon as the announcement is made da 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 it's become it's become the anthem of, of celebration to this day you know uh, I have a soft spot for congratulations it's a song which is fed clothed and educated a couple of my kids the only thing I'm sore about is that I didn't make it into the into the Eurovision history books as the only songwriter to have won the Eurovision in, in, in two consecutive years because that ain't ever going to happen Did General Franco rig the Eurovision so Maciel could win? Was Franco a Eurovision fanatic? I guess you can never tell for sure what goes on in a person's mind. Finalmente, is possible cantar un poco de la la la? No, no tengo ninguna No me siento diciendo, yo canto a la mañana. 
que de mi juventud I was no young, I am 66, and play la 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 la, not at this moment, you, you put the record. <laughs> 